Welcome to this podcast. It's a podcast as as the other ones that I'm doing around passion, what drives people, what drives people towards meaning, purpose. There's a lot of words like this and passion can be more than one thing. And today I'm sitting here with my friend TJ. We met at Burning Man a year ago. So in yeah. 2018 and now we spent the second burn this year and now we're here in brooklyn yes and i'm very excited about this in my bedroom thanks for being in my bedroom <laughs> yeah thank you for having me yeah no problem. <laughs> and and yeah we uh, and one one thing that you're really passionate about is community yes absolutely. and uh, so but you can also obviously make sense if you want to introduce yourself a little bit tell tell us about something a little bit about yourself and then we can go into that topic sure um, uh, yeah, just kind of some background, um, related to community. I grew up, um, I was born in the Midwest of the United States and, uh, in Illinois and have a very large extended family. Um, my father was one of 11 children and, um, he was kind of like right in the middle of all of, it, of his siblings in terms of age. We moved to Orlando, Florida when I was about, um, eight years old. And uh, I grew up very much in um, religious environments and very involved in, in Protestant churches, um, most specifically in the South when we moved to Florida in Baptist church. Um, and I feel like that's where I got my first connections to community was in, in sort of church settings and family. Like I said, I'm just having a large extended family. My mother's family is also not small by any means either. Um, so she had three siblings and, and I have, um, tens of first cousins more than most people that I meet. Um, and so I, I, I feel like community was always sort of, um, a part of my experience from as far back as I can remember. Mm -hmm. But I recognize as I get older and as I move through different parts of my life and, um, and I have various, uh, talents and passions and, and things that I pursue, I feel like the idea of community always um, is, is is underlying in everything that I do, at least for me. And that's that's the way I connect to um, the things that I'm passionate about. The, uh, the my the way I use my talents. Mm -hmm. um, I I rarely um, I rarely find myself in in sort of isolated situations where it's just mm -hmm. just me. Um, and I'll talk about that some more as we go through, but, um, but yeah. And so I, I grew up mostly in Florida, went to university in, in Florida, spent a year overseas, um, as a Christian missionary and, uh, came back and got really involved in, uh, a band and played music for several years and toured with a band and then, um, really connected to, um, stand up comedy and got involved in stand-up comedy and um, connecting to just entertainment in general, but, but mm -hmm. mostly comedy and acting, which brought me to New York City, and that's where I am now. Mm -hmm. So, and this, this community element, that's, uh, yeah, it's a, I, I think, very, very interesting and important to topic. When did you first notice that as a concept, or when did you, in your life, you have a, your first memory of realizing that you're part of a community? Or that the community was doing something for the for you, or you were doing something for the community. Yeah, I I feel like uh, like I said, I feel like it was something that was a part of me from the time I was very young. Um, I was always involved in and my family was always involved in um, community and the support of a community. But I don't think I recognized it until the first experience I had where I felt removed from community and then so it was sort of the absence of it that sort of made me aware about how much community is um has been such a part of my development and who i am and and that first can and that first sort of uh experience of not having um dedicated community was that year that i was a missionary so i i left college uh, i graduated from college in uh spring of 1999 and i uh, found myself, um, I, I had worked in a couple, um, like Christian summer camp settings and went to, uh, had an opportunity to go sort of build a new summer camp opportunity, um, in London. Uh, and so I 
I applied and I packed up and I moved to London and I was going to be spending two years there um, as a missionary building this the same sort of summer camp idea for American students to come over and, and do mission projects in uh, in the UK. And it was during that time that I was um, I was supposed to have had a roommate and I was supposed to be connected to this small team of Americans that were all supposed to be fair, fairly connected in London. And because the the uh, gentleman that was supposed to be my, my roommate backed out at the last minute. They didn't replace him with anyone. I was living on my own. I was about a 45 minute bus ride from the rest of the Americans that I was on a team with. And so for the first time in my life, I was, I was definitely in a place. I mean, London is, is there is no shortage of people. I was definitely in a very populated place, but I was not connected to any of the communities there um, in any real sense. So I learned I feel I was actually just telling someone this the other day that I feel like growing up, um, I I definitely connect to that idea of FOMO, you know, that fear of missing out. And when I was in college, it was like if there were people having fun, doing something, entertaining, party or whatever it was, that's what I was doing until everybody else passed out, fell asleep, whatever, and that's when I would get my work done. It was like I didn't want to miss out on the the aspect of people doing things. So very much connected to that. And in, in, in an, uh, this whole idea of extrovert or introvert, whether you believe in that or not, um, I, I feel like I lived most of my life up until college as an extrovert. And then spending that time in London and really sort of being forced to spend time alone um, and, and isolated in many ways, I, I feel like I developed within me or, or at least recognized within me this idea of solitude and, and the importance of that and, and recharging by being with myself and being a lot more introspective. But I still see that even though I feel like I have a more of a balance of that in my life now, it's, it's still connected to I spend those times alone thinking about community, thinking about how I can better myself so that I can be a better part of the community that I'm involved in so mm-hmm. i would say that was probably my first experience was like being in a situation where i was forced to recognize that i didn't have community i didn't have that support system that i that has always been there mm-hmm. yeah but i think yeah the extroversion introversion i can very much relate because i had i've had looking back on my life now when i had difficult phases in my life my instinct was to go out and to be with people and to either have completely um, unrelated exchanges, you know, talk or or actually to share what I was going through mm-hmm. as well. So that was really important to me. But then, I think at some point, I kind of I was feeling like uh, I should. It's it's also important to explore that intro introverted or that introspection type yeah. type uh, level. Um, but I've only started doing that recently. It's yeah, so I I get where you're coming from. Yeah. So I think that's an and I think that's an important it's an important lens to apply when we do things or when we embark on new things. I think to just to see you know what what how can we use it to obviously to our benefit to our you know the people that we're that are important to us to their benefit or the community. Yeah. But also protect us from doing too much of one or the other thing. Yeah. So. Definitely. Yeah. And with this. You see that is there a connection between this FOMO that you realized in college and and community? Is it like because there's in the community yeah. when there's stuff happening, certainly you're, meant, you're supposed to be part of it anyway? Or yeah, exactly. And and so I I feel like, um, yeah, I, I I'm part of now that I've you know lived a lot of life and and different stages of life. There are several different communities that I feel a part of, but I am not. Um, directly interacting in all of those communities at the same time. So, I mean, obviously now we have things like social media that can keep us a lot more connected um, to people that we're not necessarily in close physical proximity to. But yes, there's always that idea that like you want to be there, you want to be a part of it and, and you want to be um, connected. I mean, I feel like in in most of my friendships, I do have, I, you know, I, I feel very fortunate to have lots of different friends that I live far away from that we can not talk in several months and we can pick up the phone and sort of pick up where we left off. I really like having those um, types of relationships, but I think that's only possible when you are able to create a strong community. And, th- and those are people that I have 
at one time been very physically close to and built to that strength of community. And then it just carries over into, you know, the, the rest of our lives. And so mm-hmm. it's great to be able to like touch back into those communities. So, yeah, I think the, the FOMO is definitely all about, um, feeling that lack of community or or that yearning to remain a part of a community even when you're not with them yeah yeah and what would you say are the things that that you tend to bring into the community or that you tend to do that kind of maintains the community what is it that that you well i mentioned comedy I, i feel like comedy is um is one of the things that one of my favorite ways to connect with people like humor has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. Um, I remember I had, uh, one of my grandfathers and I had a, a close relationship and sometimes, uh, probably annoying relationship to the rest of the family because we would share a lot of laughter and, and not necessarily inside jokes, but like he thought I was really funny. And so he like brought that out in me and, and celebrated that. And then he would laugh, you know, when I would do something funny. And then I just got such a kick out of making him laugh that I would laugh at him laughing. And then we would just kind of get in these laughing fits together to the chagrin of the rest of my family, who was just like, would the two of you just calm down a little bit kind of thing. And it was those I, I know. I mean, when people have asked me in several other podcasts and interviews and things throughout my comedy career about, like, when did you first connect to comedy? It was certainly that the, that relationship was was pretty paramount to my connection with humor in the way that it can build bonds between people. And I, and I really feel like, um, it's interesting to see that even though there needs to be some base level of language for people to understand, um, you know, like verbal comedy, the jokes, there's, there's also a lot that's funny in just the, the way we can observe people. And so like, there's, um, I've noticed that in in my travels uh, or my interactions with people who we don't share any common language is like there, you can still find things that that you can both recognize as funny. I mean, there's just so much humor, and and I feel like humor. I mean, I I, I actually resist and and hesitate to break down why things are funny too much because I feel like you can lose a lot in that way. Mm. There's something magical about just what is funny. But I think a lot of it is is sort of a recognition of um, of oh there's something that's off there's something that's that's unexpected, and so that idea that we can if 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 two people or more you know two or more people can recognize that same thing that's off there's immediately a connection made between them and then there there's an understanding. And I think that's why, you know, when, when people do public speaking and things, they often start with a joke. It's like it's it's diffusing in one way because it can just make you relax. Um, but it's connecting in an even, I think, in an even more important sense. It's like if you can get an entire, as with my background and, and when I've done stand-up comedy, for instance, when you're standing on a stage and you just share a simple idea and you can feel the entire room laughing at just that one simple idea – for that moment, the entire room is like of one mind. Yeah, yeah. And, it's a connection, right? Yeah, a, and it's really it's incredibly powerful. Yeah, um, because laughter is—I mean, you can fake laughter, sure, but most times, like you can tell when there's genuine laughter, and when it's genuine, it's involuntary, and so it's like it's almost connecting not just to people's conscious mind, but to their subconscious mind, and so if you if you're creating that kind of moment where everyone's laughing at the same time, you're connecting people on a very deep level. Um, and I don't, like I said, I don't want to like make that an overwrought idea, but I, I really feel like that's why um, humor can really produce a lot of healing for people because they, if, if you can get everyone on the same page and thinking about a certain thing, I think that's why comedians like George Carlin, who, um, I didn't. I don't necessarily think he's the funniest comedian that has ever worked, but he. Um, but that's because the way he chose to use humor, it was connecting people to serious ideas, um, and so by like it was almost like when you're laughing at at a George Carlin joke, you're laughing at something that's very uncomfortable, because you're recognizing 
so at least subconsciously that there's some underlying truth mm. and some and something that's really off. Um, so I think it's it's really uh, it's really interesting to understand how humor can really connect people can um, can kind of break through that sort of mm. the the surface mm. airs that we put on and like cut people down to like this is exact you know this is how I really feel on the inside whether yeah. I'm willing to admit it or not. Well, the picture that came to my mind just now when you were saying how that connects people even even if they don't speak the same language is not a specific situation but uh, but I'm sure but I know that I've had experiences maybe in a different country where you see something off yeah. or something breaks or something happens or someone's doing something strange and then your eyes connect to someone else and look at each other and you smile because you both see what is going on and you don't yeah. you know you, you probably won't even speak to each other but mm -hmm. you can see okay okay this is yeah yeah so there's humor Right. appearing basically in that, in that situation yeah it breaks yeah. a certain surface tension that i think um that leaves room for a deeper connection mm. you know like we, we all have you know we're all sort of conditioned to live our lives in these certain lanes and then something unexpected happens and subconsciously everyone laughs and then it's like their subconscious like i said is all connected or all directed at the same thing and then it leaves space open for What else can you, can you you know bring in and and give more meaning to yeah. that? that and, and having discovered that, how do you how do you apply that? Or how, have you honed your skills in that sense, or do you what do you do? Yeah, to, I mean, I, I I've honed my skills in the sense that I, you know I've worked as a stand-up comedian professionally, and I've worked as an improv comedian professionally. I do a lot of sketch comedy writing and performing now. Um, And I, I think all of those ways, uh, they're, and they're all very different in their own right as far as um, just comedy and, and developing structure, but they all kind of have the same core. And for, for me, I find that even, uh, I mean, I, that doing it professionally was a shift because for me, before I started pursuing comedy professionally, I was always sort of the funny guy in my group of friends. Like if, if someone were like, oh, who's the clown in your you know group of friends or whatever, I, I would be near the top of that list or at the top of that list in, in most of my friend groups and, uh, and even in my family. And, and so for me, humor was a way that I would, um, I think as a kid, you know, like it's a way for me to deflect my insecurities um, and, and cope. It was a coping mechanism for sure. But, I've recognized as I've gotten older and as I've gained more confidence and built more self-esteem, um, you know, in, in all the other uh, areas of my life, that for, for me, the skill of humor in just a regular one-on-one -on -one conversation is, again, it's, it's a recognition. I, I think it's, if used correctly, um, if it's not the kind of humor that's, like, critical of, of people... Um, at least not critical of sort of like, well, there's this idea in comedy comedy of punching up or punching down. And so they, they say, you know, like the best company is the best comedy is always punching up. So like punching or, or attacking, you know, like people that are in positions of power, especially if they're abusing that power. That can, that's why like political comedy is so popular and things like that. And that's also why people are very critical of jokes that seem to be making fun of like people that are destitute or people that are, um, Or, or disadvantaged in some way or, you know, handicapped mm -hmm. or whatever. It's like, it's inappropriate to make fun of those people because you're punching down at that point. And so mm -hmm. it, this idea that if you can show yourself um, as one, you're, you're showing an understanding of the world around you. If you're able to point out um, differences or things that are off in the world. Um, and then it, it also, it, it positions you in a bit of a place of humility. I think, like I said, if you're, if you're punching in the right direction for that new person that you're trying to meet, that you're trying to connect with, to see that like, okay, this person understands that there's a power dynamic or, uh, and, and that they, they're not trying to put themselves above anyone else. They're actually sort of trying to, you know, put themselves underneath or, you know, like to, to come in with, with a level of humility. So, That's how I try to use humor in just everyday conversation. And when I connect with people is, is um, I want, I, I prefer jokes and humor where like everyone is in on the joke. I don't like someone to be outside of the joke. 
um, some of my favorite comedians and jokes and even some of the, like the jokes that I've written and performed that I like the most even have a, a, a very subtle, um, turn of, uh, of like the, the joke has to be completed in your mind so that then we all are, are kind of completing the joke together. And that way you feel like you're part of the process and not just being spoon fed. Like, hey, this is something that I think is funny, but like, if I can just sort of not even have to say the last line, but can get your thoughts going such that you can complete the thought and then you feel like you're part of the joke as well. And I think that's why uh, improv comedy especially is really um, exciting to me is because it's, it creates this idea that the audience is very much involved in what's happening on stage because they're offering the suggestion and the energy that they're bringing to, you know, just allowing the comedians to, um, to try and to fail. And sometimes some, the, some of the funniest things in improv comedy are when a scene just completely falls apart from where it was trying to go. And then it goes to a place that nobody expected, which is even more funny to me. So I think the more you can, use humor as a way, again, to connect and to build community. I think that's the power of, of that, of, mm. of humor mm. in, in our discourse. What brought you to the point or what was it that you wanted to explore when you, when you wanted to go do it like, or, or do it like uh, professionally? Because I mean, that mean, that means you have to actively expose yourself yeah. to something completely different and you have to Yeah, and expose yourself to criticism in a way oh, that yeah. you didn't necessarily, you know, like when you're just joking with your friends, chances are your friends are going to think just about everything you say is funny because it could be inside humor. Everyone knows the full context of what you are joking about. Whereas when you decide to do it professionally, and so, and so for me that, that difficult part was there was a certain period of time at the beginning of, of trying to do comedy professionally where it it became a like laborious in a way that it wasn't before because um, the stakes were higher and, you know, like potentially I was getting paid to make people laugh. And so like there was an expectation that people would actually laugh. And so, and also uh, much like I was talking about before, like the, I think there were certain situations I, I came from a tradition of, of improv comedy before I did stand up comedy that, um, really tried to do what, you know, what they called clean comedy. And so trying to make, you know, be accessible to the most amount of people. So, you know, like purposefully not using um, profane language and purposely staying away from certain graphic subjects because we wanted it to be accessible to, you know, all different types of people. Um, I, th I think for me, like coming to those traditions And, and comedy, and then you have to be very critical about why something is funny before you say it, and then it be and it becomes you know more, a lot more work to you know like just because it makes me laugh doesn't mean it would make everyone laugh. And so I remember the the first the first two comedy sets I did. One I I actually took a a stand up comedy workshop class that was like six weeks long for three hours, uh, one night a week for six weeks. And we had to write our first like four minute stand up set. And of course the, the, the graduation from that class is everybody invites their friends and family to come to a comedy club that night. So the whole audience is like packed and stacked with people that want you to succeed in comedy. So, um, so everybody's four minutes, you know, like got a, a generally a really great reaction from the audience. because it was all people that wanted, you know, they were there, They had some understanding of, of you and the six weeks you'd put in and all that kind of thing. And so I had this really great four minute set that turned into like an eight minute set because, you know, like the, the instructor was like, if people are laughing, don't start saying your next joke until they're done laughing. And yeah. so like, you know, I would get some big laughs and I would just wait until people stopped laughing. And so I had prepared four minutes, but it took me a little bit longer to do. So I was on this big high from like, oh, this is great. You know, like I wanted this to go well and it went even better than I expected. it. And then the next week, some... Um, people that I took the class with and I decided like, oh, well, let's go, you know, that was fun. Let's go to a, just a regular open mic at a local bar the next, you know, week and we'll just tell jokes at the open mic. And we told the same jokes, which we had prepared and, and they were, they had to be very clean according to our, you know, the instructor of the workshop. And so we were doing these like squeaky clean jokes in the, in this like seedy bar 
at, with people that were not expecting squeaky clean jokes, you know, like jokes that you could tell in a church and people would be, be okay with. And they wanted something that was like more raw and more raunchy. And so th there was not a lot of laughter for that, uh, for those same exact jokes. And for me, um, I remember thinking, okay, I, I didn't take that so personally. I mean, it didn't feel good to not be laughed at, but I didn't take it personally and think like, oh, these jokes aren't funny. I translated it to, there are people here in that, that came to this bar that obviously came for comedy because it was a planned comedy open mic night. They came for comedy. They do have a sense of humor. They do think something's funny. There's got to be a way for me to, to frame these same ideas that I'm talking about in a way that connects to these people and that where they understand the humor that, or, or the story that I'm trying to tell. There were people that came with me that night that were that had been at the show the the, the uh, week before and had the great reaction from telling their jokes the week before that there were I, I remember one person in particular who just we never saw this person come out to open mics again after that first open mic that went terribly wrong compared to the first one. And I think it's because, you know, there that person did, just didn't, I guess, recognize that they, they took it personally and thought like, oh, these people just didn't think I was funny. I took it as a challenge to be like, there's a way I can hone these ideas. And for me, I think that's the that's the art form of comedy is is understanding that just because a joke bombs once doesn't mean it's a bad joke per se. You have to rewrite it over and over and you have to um, just attack it at a bunch of different angles because people are coming to a comedy show with so many different perspectives and what one person thinks is hilarious the other person might think is offensive because of their personal experiences with that subject or that mm -hmm. topic or whatever so mm -hmm. um, do you think yeah. do you think at that at that time you had you already recognized this element of connection like literally like consciously and maybe this other person didn't maybe they had a different understanding of thinking oh it's it's all about something funny, you know, and maybe, and maybe I have to cater to a certain audience yeah. or something. And but for you, it's it's kind of different. So, what I'm trying to say is, it seems to me, you 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 approach it from a different level of of um, almost intellectual enterprise. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. So, it could be. I mean, I, as we're talking about it, I, I that that could very much be possible. Could be the reason because I. If I'm talking, if I'm remembering right about this certain person that you know, that kind of disappeared after that that bad set, um, I don't think that person had a lot of stage experience. But I had been on, I had done some improv comedy in college, and like I was just talking about with improv, there's a lot more of a recognition with improv. Like I think with stand up, it's just one person behind a microphone, and and even though you're not. Um, you know, generally you don't want the audience speaking back to you when you're a, a stand-up comedian. It's more of a monologue than a dialogue. Whereas with improv, um, even though you don't have the audience yelling out during the, the scene, there is that inherent, like there's that a more clear understanding that the audience is involved in what's going on. So I think because I had done some improv before that in college, before I got to stand-up, I did have that recognition that the audience is very much a part of this. And so, and maybe that person, that other person didn't recognize that. And they just took it. That's why they took it personal. Cause they were like, it was my job to make these people laugh. I didn't make them laugh. And I, and I interpreted it as there was a conversation we were going to be having me in the audience. And I just wasn't holding up my part of the conversation. So is there a way for me to change my part of the conversation? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah that's, no, that's interesting because that's, that's an interesting way to to look at it yeah um, rather than and I've, I've seen this you know professionally i've worked um on i've had to do presentations or i've always actually liked the challenge of doing presentations yeah. because i've and i don't know why or i didn't used to know why but i remember the first few times where i went to some sort of trainings you know which were sometimes in a few days where you would explore that and you would get recorded on video which a lot of people feel really uncomfortable with in the beginning, you know, and just mm -hmm. look at yourself on, on, on uh, film. But then, but some of the techniques I remember that even in the first course they were trying to teach us was this idea that you you um, spend few seconds consciously, like three to five seconds, looking at one particular person, so that 
you have more of a feeling that you're involved. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this, I've noticed this more, more often as well in really great talks or presentations or even yeah, lecture type conversations where, where um, yeah, people just really, even if it's, if it's one, in a way one-sided yeah, mm -hmm. for a long time, the person yeah. just talks and explores different thoughts by themselves, it's still, it's still that feeling of taking them along with the along on that ride. Right. Yeah. And finding someone in the audience to sort of personalize it for yeah. you as the speaker. Yeah. yeah. And I was wondering when you mentioned after that experience that it became a bit laborious. Can, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think it just, it, it, it required a switch in my mind to, to having more of a consciousness around, um, <clears throat> what was coming out of my mouth and, and what ideas I was expressing. Whereas, like I said before, if I, if it was just among my group of friends, there was a lot more, uh, familiarity. So there was a lot more forgiveness available for like, okay, maybe that wasn't the funniest thing TJ's ever said, but we're going to laugh anyway, because generally like he's our funny friend. Um, and so, and whether I recognize that, consciously all the time i did recognize that like there were some jokes that like i was more proud of uh <laughs> that i was like oh I, that that felt clever like i i i like the idea that i put forward there and then sometimes i would you know tell a joke and my friends would just groan but even to me that's as good as a laugh because that means you know you at least, I at least touched a nerve somewhere You're like um if there's no reaction at all then that's that's not good but a groan to me is as good as a laugh um so yeah, I think it became, I had to have more of a consciousness around um, what I was doing. And and I think, I, I know for me, that I translate that to a lot of my other relationships, not just um, in comedy performance, but romantic relationships, friendships. Like, it taught me to be more conscious about what I share, how I share it, how I frame it even that idea of punching up versus punching down, you know, it was like, there's a way to be, to be critical in a, in a way that can be constructive and helpful for people, but, but not, um, breaking them down or making them feel bad about themselves. But, uh, you know, so. I, is that, is that a relation that you see there between comedy and that, that element? So sort of like that. Yeah. I, I, for me, that that's, that's how I, because I don't, I feel like my, as I've grown, like I, I still enjoy making people laugh, but I also feel like I'm, I'm a lot more interested in and, and compelled to, um, share serious ideas with people and connect to people in serious ways. I think, like I said, you know, I know I, some of my first connections to humor were sort of deflecting, you know, maybe things I was insecure about or, or trying to cope with things. Um, and so, But I think in my time of having to be very conscious about what I say to make people laugh, just in general made me more conscious about what I say. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that what I say does have an effect on people. And so there is an importance of being conscious about how I express all ideas, not just funny ones. And to, and to what extent do you also pick subjects which have an like I would say important subjects but you use them in comedy but not on a like a serious level because that would be funny yeah is that, is that also something that you'd consciously do or do you yeah I mean I think in general happen? that's the way that's I, I think that's the beauty of comedy as an art form is that it is kind of I mean people talk about this in this day and age too that and it, and it even you know in many ways is kind of under fire for being uh, you know for what is how much free speech should be allowed in comedy even. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely of the mind as, as a, a professional comedian, I'm, I'm of the mind that like, I will defend anyone's right to, to try to make funny any subject. I think that's, you know, I, but I think there's a responsibility when you do that, you have to understand that just because you're trying to tackle a serious subject doesn't mean that you're going to be above criticism or that, people won't have um, some serious uh, issues with what you've said. And so it's like the more serious the topic, 
the funnier your joke has to be, but even more than that, the more truthful it has to be. And it has to be more universal, universally true. And it has to be sort of above reproach in that way that people can go like, okay, the sentiment underneath this is a true sentiment, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable. Um, you know, I, I know there's like, every time a new special comes out now, and especially if someone's talking about very hot button current event issues, you know, like there's, there's going to be people who are critical that, that someone is even making a joke about that thing. Um, but I think if you, you have to come to comedy with a bit of a, um, a critical mind about what the underlying truth is. You can't just listen for a buzzword that you're like, well, they said this word, so they're talking about this topic, and this is something that, uh, you know, I have a lot of strong feelings about. So I'm just automatically going to say they shouldn't be joking about this. So it's like, well, you should give a little bit of um, time and effort into thinking about what they're actually trying to say. You know, like I think there's people that I've seen over the course of my comedy career who might who might joke about race in a way that. Um, people find very offensive and it's, and, and they're like, but you know, but I'm making fun of racism. And then if you sort of break down what they're saying, it's like, no, you're just getting a laugh at the expense of saying something racist there. You have, you haven't really said anything. You haven't really, um, challenged like a status quo mindset about racism or something like that. You can't just say something racist and go, I'm making fun of racism because I don't really believe this. You know, it's like, that's, that's, great if you don't really believe the racist thing that you're saying but if all that you've said is just you've brought up something that you know it's just like quoting someone who's said something racist Mm -hmm. you can't be like well why are you offended i just quoted someone i was like well but why are you quoting them are you trying to make a point about what they're Mm -hmm. saying or you know so this is interesting because i think there's two there's two levels or two things that, that come to my mind that are important one is this this idea of um which i find really interesting that you said it has to be the more sensitive or or the topic, the more what you're trying to get at is is true, and I think with a lot of sensitive topics, people have different ideas of what is actually true, mm-hmm. right? Because you, for example, if you you can look at comedy or you can jokes, you can look look at jokes where it's about male female relationships, yeah, and you can very easily get to get to a stage or get to a point where you talk about stereotypes and cliches, and and then you can understand that some people who might not feel that way or, or might find it sexist or might find it just um, not funny. Yeah. But it can be very funny too, yeah, if it's done in the right way. So I right. think that's that's an interesting thing, you know, what is actually true. And then uh, the other element as well um, that you just mentioned. So I think what I've seen in the past is, and what, what sometimes is can be very funny, is if the comedian takes you on that that journey of, of a mindset of someone who's kind of misled in a way, mm-hmm. like it, racist yeah. or just politically in a strange mode or abstract concepts, yeah, or or very esoteric or something. So they yeah. they kind of they kind of get into that zone where they're just following that this train of thought, and then it just goes into that crazy you know um, direction. And some of that is funny because you you can see how how these how how, how these these kind of really incorrect untrue things come out of that person mm-hmm. and they know it it's untrue but it's very funny because you can see how ridiculous it is to go down that path right and then you would still have that person saying something racist or say, saying something sexist but it is funny because you know they don't believe it mm-hmm. and it's actually funny because they have just shown you how misled and maybe actively someone has explored that Right, because it makes them feel better about their convictions or something. Right, you see what I'm what I'm getting at. So it's yeah, it's kind of difficult, I would say. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's you know you're you're, I I think that's why comedy is is important. I think that's why like you know in a country like America, where we, you know, one of our highest values is the freedom of speech. I think that's why, it's important to defend people's right to try to be, to, to try to be funny. And because you have to take a risk of being offensive to say something that potentially could, you know, change someone's mind. Um, 
And so that it's a very, you know, thin line that you're walking a lot of times. And, you know, there are, there are comedians, I would say any of the comedians that people hold up as like, you know, who have a, a strong political bent or whatever. And they're like, they're really funny and they're really saying something. Chances are they've crossed a line. And I, I know that like, um, I've been to comedy shows where there are, you know, where there's a famous comedian who's trying to work out material and they're very, like, they kind of sort of put the room a bit on lockdown where they're like, you know, like shut off your phone. So I've been in some comedy rooms where they're like, they like want people to like not even bring their phones into the room because it before like people could just take a video on their phone and post it online, you know, someone could take a risk in a room of 50 people and say something and and there was um you know you're you're risking offending you know one of 50 people or a few of 50 people or 50 people total if you offend the whole room mm. um but it's contained and then you have that space to you know like be like let's all go on this journey together and let's work this out and if they they can do that in that controlled environment then they can maybe push that line a few times and figure out okay this is the way i need to say what i'm trying to say to get this specific idea across now with the way people can just like pop out their phone out of their pocket and record it and put it online a comedian can have a bit that they're just trying out and it's not anywhere near complete and if they go over that line then it gets put out online and sits right next to all of the other recorded comedy that was you know written and recorded and curated over months and years and then put on a comedy special and then there's this clip of someone trying out a joke for the first time that sits right next to it. And so in a lot of people's mind, it has the same weight. And they're like, I can't believe right. someone would say this joke. And it's like, well, it's not a fully formed joke yet. So as with my background in music before comedy, I always love this like juxtaposition of the way that music is written and performed and recorded versus the way comedy is. Like as, as a band, I, I remember thinking like you would come up with an idea and you'd write, you know, in practice with your band and you'd write that song and you'd practice and practice and practice until you perfect it. And then you play it on stage and then you might record it on an album and then it's out for the world to yeah. see. And no one Where, would, and obviously, no one seeing you practice that song right, would expect, seeing, would assume right. that that's the, the No one's the seeing how the sausage product, is made, exactly. But then with comedy, it, you get the seed of an idea and you go on stage with it and you write it over and over again by saying it over and over again and changing the words here or there and adding a new idea and being in a room where the audience might react a certain way so you improvise a line or something like that. So the writing process is happening during a performance and, and so many jokes are written that way or so many comedy sets are written that way. Like a comedian will work for a year and do the same jokes in club after club, different contexts in different cities and 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 then it gets written over time and then you put it on an album and then you release it and then you might never tell that joke again because you're off writing the new thing so it's just it's sort of a, a flipped process and yet um i remember one of the first shows i ever did as a stand-up comedian i was hosting a show that was a monthly show in the local town athens georgia where i started doing comedy it was the second show i had ever hosted uh, myself and I had five minutes of material because I had just started. And so the second month I was doing mostly the same five minutes that I had done the month before. It was just the next show. And so I had maybe written like a minute more of new material. And again, was, this was Athens, Georgia, home of REM and the B-52s. And so it was very much a music city. But I was, I'm on stage and I start into a joke that I had told a month before. And I remember someone from the audience yelled out. They're like... You told that joke last time. And because I had had some improv experience before that, I wasn't totally thrown, but I I immediately quipped something like, this person goes and sees R.E.M. And they're like, you played Losing My Religion last time. And it got a laugh because I think, the, because I hope the audience understood that like the the trick of, of stand-up comedy is that you're making people think that this is the first time you've ever said this thing. It's like it's presenting the material in such a way that you're like, I'm just I'm just riffing off the cuff right here. But if you're good at it and if you're doing it for a long time, it will come off that way, but you it's chances are you've said it a thousand times before, you know, but that person is just hearing it for the first time and you have to react too. Like the way comedians chuckle at their own jokes as they tell them like 
I find that funny because I know they like they don't necessarily think it's that hilarious anymore because they've said it so many times. But you have to present it that way that you're like, ah, I just I just came up with this idea. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think people recognize that about comedy, that it's like it, it has to be it's sort of written in real time. Um, and to bring it back around to this idea of community, too, I think that's for me personally is why. I, I'm on a track where like, I still do comedy. I will always do comedy. I love making people laugh, but I recognize for me, there's, there's a deeper mission of using the skills and the understanding that I have of, of comedy and communication that I've learned through comedy to create more community and to connect people to more serious subjects. Um, so I, I have moved away from doing so much stand-up comedy because I didn't feel like I, I was part of a tour for a number of years where it was myself and three other comedians. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed that because there was a lot of community in that where we, we were all telling our own jokes on stage, but we were, we were a package deal. We, and we were able to um, headline places that we couldn't, headline individually necessarily because we were just new enough and didn't have enough material to you know present a whole hour and a half's worth as one person but as what group we had a sensibility there was a variety in what we were doing and it was it was a lot like touring as a band and so when we all kind of started doing more individual things I feel like for me it felt I, I lost that sense of community a little bit um, and then it j felt like I was just me on stage presenting my own ideas and so I have moved back towards types of comedy like sketch comedy, writing and performing and improv comedy, where there is a lot more synergy. There is a lot more of an ensemble and community feel to producing. Because for me, I just connect the most to creating as a group and and seeing where things can go. So so that happens yeah. as a group as well. Yeah? So you, you develop comedy with others together or how can I... Yeah, I mean, I, with like sketch comedy, the, there's one particular sketch comedy um, experience that I do a few times a year uh, here in New York called Old School Sketch Show. And, and they, it's a new cast of characters every time or it's a rotating cast. So, um, you know, so, so I'll do it with some people that I've done it with before. And sometimes there's new people, but it's usually about five to eight people. And it's a week long sort of mini Saturday Night Live boot camp kind of feeling where you start on a Saturday everyone comes in with brand new ideas pitches sketches to everyone we all give each other notes you have 48 hours to write out those sketches and then you come back and then you start rewriting those sketches and like memorizing them and memorizing lines and blocking and everything so by the next Saturday you put on a, a brand new sketch comedy show that has never been, been seen before and will never be seen again um, and there's a, there's several reasons why I like that format but the main one is that is that idea. It's like it's my idea that I bring to the table on that first Saturday, <clears throat> but I'm workshopping it, and people are giving me ideas, and there's not um, there's not a sense of ownership where someone's like, "Well, I I gave you that joke to add into your sketch." It's like it's still my sketch, but we all help each other in that way. And then I go back and I write it, and and then I get to cast it the first time, and then the director has some more final say. But the other thing that I really like about it is this idea that I think for a lot of creative people can probably connect to this is like, as a creative, I can nitpick my own creations to death and I, I want them to be so perfect before I present them to the world. And if you get too caught up in that, you'll never produce anything. And, and so it's this idea of, they talk about, um, when I first started doing the sketch show, they talked about failing fast. So it's just like, you have a week, like, Get it out there. Do the best you can. You'll put it on stage. It's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be as perfect as it can be. And you learn from that experience so that the next time you do it with a different sketch, you can not make the same mistakes again. And so, and I think that's just a beautiful sentiment for anything that we do that we want to do. It's like if you if you only want to put out things that are perfect, you're probably never going to put anything out. Mm, so, yeah, totally. yeah. yeah. But the, definitely the community aspect is, is huge for yeah, me. And, yeah. and Something I, I wanted to ask you as well, because you, you mentioned it earlier, was this element of overcoming insecurities mm -hmm. through comedy as well. Yeah. Is that, is that, to what extent can you still 
tap into that feeling? Can you, is it when you when you look back, does that like the basis of that feeling still come up sometimes before you go on stage before you start this kind of thing, or is it is it or is it like like an old you that you've just sort of sort of parked somewhere else or that is does not not, not exist? No, I think it definitely. I mean, there. I think stage fright or whatever, you know, folks would call, you know, that sort of fear of being in front of people and failing in front of people in a performance. I don't think it goes away. I think it just becomes something different. So, you know, whereas initially it might be, oh gosh, I, I might, you know, like, I don't know if anyone really thinks they're physically, physically going to die on stage, but it, it can be that intense for people where they're like, I could not get in front of people and just and say anything, let alone try to be funny. Um, and so there's that level of stage fright. And then for me, and I don't think I, I think I had that when I was a lot younger because I, I did a, some theater and things in some, in some of my like religious upbringing, like it, being in front of people in church and that kind of thing. So I didn't quite have that stage fright when I started comedy. But for me, stage fright morphed into something where it was if it, if I was in a new venue, pers like for instance, like all of a sudden I'm performing at a bigger venue that's like 250 people instead of like a 500 person audience. Like there's a different level of nervousness that goes into that. Where it's like, are you know, are my jokes going to be received in the back of the room as much as they are going to be in the front of the room, or, um, or how can I, you know, like you were talking about with just public speaking and like being able to like make some eye contact with people in the audience. It's like in a larger room like that, it's harder for the people in the back of the room to feel as connected to the person on stage and vice versa. Um, and then there's also a nervousness about like doing tried and, and tested material versus like, Oh, I've got this new bit that I've only done a few times. And so like, I, you know, the last couple of times I've done it, I've said this word and it hasn't quite worked. So tonight I'm actually going to swap it out for this word. And I'm really curious to see if this is going to connect with these people. Um, it was always a really interesting experience too, doing comedy clubs where you would do multiple shows a night in the same room, but with different people. So, you know, there'd be like a six thirty show with, that would be over at eight o'clock. And then there's an eight thirty show. That's like a hundred brand new people come in. And, you know, there's in the comedy world, people understand that there's like there's like late show energy versus early show energy. So especially on like a Friday night. So, you know, the early show might be a little more tame, whereas the late show, people have probably been out and had a few drinks before they go to the late comedy show. So that they audience is going to have a different energy. There's yeah. a little bit more rowdiness involved. They may be more likely to heckle you or that kind of thing. And so just from one, you know, like from two hours earlier to now, the same joke can have a completely different reaction in in, a, in the same exact room, and and you probably didn't say it exactly the same way, but very close. And you know, in one show, it could have been it should, could have been your best joke, it could have killed, and then in the very next show, two hours later, that could have been like the worst part of your show, and it could have bombed. Wow. Okay. So it's just such a delicate art form. So there's always going to be so, that unknown element so like you're never completely comfortable on stage and i think that's why you know it you're forced to bring that new energy every time and you can see in in comedians that have just been doing the same material over and over there's like some comedians that you know they just they hone an act and they get known for that and then their audience sort of expects these certain bits or jokes and if they're not constantly like rotating in new material then you can see, you know, uh, maybe not every audience can recognize it, but the people who have been on stage or the people who are watching a lot of comedy can recognize, like, there's something not quite as um, authentic because it just doesn't seem as fresh or as good because you can tell that the comedian is just, like, just kind of going through the motions up there. So the challenge is always to be as fresh as possible to yourself. And again, I think that idea of, like, stage fright or or nervousness about performing there's you you want some element of that all the time because that's sort of what's pushing you to mm -hmm. to do better to try to yeah. and to change things what makes you what makes you seek that out again and again and again, and again? Um, because that's that's difficult that's yeah that's yeah it's very exciting but it's difficult sure right and i think it's stressful i think it's the payoff i mean it's like making like going back to something we talked about at the beginning it's like 
if you're standing behind a microphone and you share an idea and an entire room connects to that idea and laughs at the idea, which is what your intention was, like, for me, there's really no, like, high that compares to that. It's just, um, because for me, community is, is so important and at the base of, of why I perform that in that moment, like feeling that connected to that many people, it's like, it's like, that's that idea of a sum being greater than, you know, the whole being greater than the sum of its parts kind of thing, where it's like, mm. this moment couldn't happen without every single person in this room and something, we created something greater that individually we couldn't all mm. kind of be a part of. Mm. So mm. chasing that high, I think that for a lot of performers in whatever creative you know format that you choose for me that's in comedy why i would mm. why i would risk that nervousness every time is is for that moment mm. where we're all laughing and especially in those moments where like we're all laughing and we don't even really know why or we couldn't explain why but we just we've all shared something yeah, yeah. and when you first set, set up professionally to do this did you have a, some some sort of a target in mind or like at this 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 image of, of you doing that that you wanted to attain or that what you wanted to reach or was it more just the state that that state that you experience when when that happens um yeah i think you know maybe a combination i, it, I think it was probably a combination i know that you know like there was certainly dreams of you know that i i saw comedians who you know ended up having acting careers that seemed you know fun and exciting and maybe glamorous and that kind of thing. So there was a little bit of that draw of like, Ooh, where, you know, where could I go? Where could this lead me to? Um, but initially, and I think as even now it's, it, it is those like little moments that, um, that I can't get just, you know, like sitting in my room telling the same joke just into thin air. Like I need people there to hear the joke um you know if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around does it make a sound it doesn't matter like it only matters if there's something there to echo back like to give you validation for the idea or to connect to the idea or help you build the idea mm -hmm. more and so mm -hmm. i think that outweighed whatever sort of vague ideas i had of like mm -hmm. fame or fortune with comedy and now do you, do you, when you write comedy or when you do comedy, do you actually risk offending people? Um, I, I think I all, I mean, I think anytime you, you get in front of people and put I, your original ideas out there, you're risking a lot and, and potentially offending people. I, because I am more sensitive to it and I don't, I don't generally go towards subjects that I think are really hot button and, and would push that line. But I definitely have had bits in, in my career that people have come up to me after shows and they're like, I didn't appreciate, you know, that idea or, or that, you know, do you remember that what that upset was? Me. Yeah. yeah. I had some, like, I had some bits when I, for early on where, um, I had a bit where I referenced, um, the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And I wasn't, I, I really didn't, the joke, I didn't write it with any, any intention to make fun of that foundation. But I had an idea that I thought was kind of funny. And so I wasn't, but because someone in the audience had a personal connection to that foundation, like I talked about before, like they heard me mention that in a comedy setting, they're immediately, their ears are gonna perk up and think like, oh, he's making fun of this foundation. And I looked back and I, and it wasn't worth it to me to continue telling that joke over and over because I was like, well, I hadn't written the, you know, again, like I talked about earlier, it's like you have a responsibility to understand that mm -hmm. people can criticize you and they can have whatever reaction they're going to. And, and it's good for you to be introspective enough to go like, okay, maybe I didn't write that well enough. Maybe it wasn't funny enough or the point I was trying to make wasn't worth potentially like making someone feel like I'm making fun of this thing that I think is a great organization and I wouldn't want to 
be seen as making fun of the organization. So yeah, it, it's uh, that is it's very tricky, isn't it? It's very it tricky. Goes back to that that other uh, because the, there's people when, on the other side who are like, yeah. you know, oh, this well, would be funny. This, yeah, yeah, or if you got offended, that's on you. Yeah. And on some level, yeah, it's like you can't control what's going to offend people, mm -hmm. but you should still be concerned if mm -hmm. they are like. You, there's or you two things. Still be yeah, there's, aware. there's two things that I was thinking about. Are two different angles to look at that. I think there's one one thing that I've noticed also professionally, or something that I've or in relationships too. You know, because I've been for me, it's been difficult sometimes to be honest and to risk offending people in my general you know vicinity or like in terms of mm -hmm. like my, my relationships because there was something bothering me right. i was i felt like someone had done something wrong or i was feeling you know not sort of respected or something and and i, I it would be extremely difficult for me to take to to express that because i would think that no i'm going to offend them and then they don't like me anymore right like so so you have that you have that that viewpoint where i think over time i recognized that the initial reaction can be different from what happens after a few days. So that's that element. Yeah, maybe so I mean, we can look at that in, in a second. You know whether that's also something that you've you've noticed as well. That well, okay, well maybe there's like this emotional reaction first, this 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 uh, being offended, but there's also a likelihood or probability that this person over the next days will recognize. Well, actually, it wasn't that bad. You know, actually, I'm, I get it now. You know, mm -hmm. that, and the, but the other element, which is maybe more important. Is and that is the the really interesting thing of of comedy where it get well not the, the one really interesting thing but one interesting thing that I noticed and I remember now something from I was thinking of uh, some shows I heard just listened to from Dane Cook for example where he was playing around with some cliches you know mm -hmm. or stereotypes and I remember two two different two different jokes where one it was just about um, uh, some. I don't like the word race. I don't think races exist actually, yeah? because yeah. it's I don't know it's, it's being thrown around all, all the time. But it was more like you know ethnic background. Let's call it sure. that. Yeah. So so he would he would play with that in like the day, you know, daily life situations. Very very simple. Nothing 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 but spectacular. Just like the noises that people make when they're driving through a car park, and then trying that out in different sort of right. different sort of ethnic ethnic cliches or stereotypes. Which I, I thought it was very funny, and then. Uh, another thing was um, that he he does sometimes is to put on this almost like a female sounding voice, and then you have that interplay between um, in couples in you know obviously right. male female couples. So where where he's also playing with that kind of you know these kind of stereotypes and kind of things. Yeah. So, but what I found interesting, or what I'm thinking about, is it can work when somehow you feel that he's not playing with the stereotypes to separate that, but he's actually but but he actually has he actually finds it endearing, these kind of the differences. Yeah, these these little differences that 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 are there, mm -hmm. um, and that's that line, or uh, that's one yeah. line <laughs> to to. And yeah. I, I, but that is really fascinating because then in those situations, and you can hear it from the audience, and obviously you you could assume certain things about the ethnic makeup of the of of that of that audience, but still, you know, I would assume that it's. Probably mixed, yeah. But I don't know. Maybe not like fifty. Yeah. 50. I mean, what? Not, nothing's always that. But um, but that is something that I observed, or that that came to my mind when you were talking about yeah. it. Um, that if you if you're able to get to that at at that point where you can recognize, okay, yeah, you're playing with stereotypes, but at the same time, it's clear that it's not a problem for you, or actually, or you find it actually interesting. Yeah. That that, that is there in some people. Certainly. So, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I think to to sort of again to bring it back to like community, um, and and this idea for me about like the way we can use language, uh, comedy, all of these tools that we have to communicate to people to, you know, I I want us to find ways to be better, to be more connected, to yeah. to grow as individuals and as a community and as um, as people, I think, I think there's a lot, I, I'm an idealist in that sense that I think there's larger things at play here. So uh, to your point about, about that, I, th I think finding the more that we can find space for people to risk with language, there's, 
there's been a few a couple documentaries recently about Mr. Rogers, the the children's um, uh, television star that many of us know internationally, but certainly in America. Um, there's he has this quote in that has really stuck with me from watching these documentaries recently, and he says, "If it's mentionable, it's manageable." And like I feel like if more of us can have that mantra. Like if we can create more space for people to risk a little bit with language, I know that language is powerful and it can have some serious negative effects for people if it's used without um, care and without consciousness and without consideration. But I think allowing people space, especially like in comedy, like I said, to, um, to risk a little bit, to get to ideas that, Maybe we wouldn't get to if we tried to play really safe all of the time. Mm. But I think allowing people the space to mention a lot of things, then it opens dialogue and lets us be able to talk through things. I find that for in my personal relationships, in my romantic relationships, that being able to talk through things and talk about things is the most powerful tool that I have to get to places that I want to get yeah. to. And being able to... And, and I struggle with this because there are a lot of things that, that spark, you know, anger. When I hear, you know, the way people are behaving in the public sector, you know, or politics or whatever, because I'm an idealist and because I want to be passionate and, and remain connected to what's happening in the world and the news, there should be things that, that sort of spark that ire in us. But I think recognizing and giving, holding space for people to talk about things, to communicate ideas and create dialogue, um, then it's manageable. Then we can get to to better places. So, yeah. for me, the idea, the ideas of uh, community, um, are really supported by the ideas of communication and connection. Mm -hmm. And so, like connecting to people with words, holding space for people. That's how we build community. That's how we strengthen community, and that's how we expand community to mm -hmm. include more people. I think that's a wonderful thought, which brings us to it. I think we can really sort of leave it at that thought because that's a wonderful thing to to um, to say. So I can also say thank you very much for this. This was really, really uh, interesting. Absolutely. Thanks thank for you. including me. Yeah, and um, happy to visit, revisit some of this at the at some other point. And I'll I'll make sure to link up, um, you know, some some of the other audio. Maybe I'll make sure that the listeners can can uh, also connect with you. Um, later on when we Super. publish this as well. Would love so, that. Yeah, so We'd love to hear people's thoughts yeah. about all these things. Cool. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Vincent.